Well, welcome everyone to this special lunchtime lecture, which is a conversation with retiring president and provost of UCL, Professor Michael Arthur. I'm Hazel Gen, Vice Provost International and Advancement and a former Dean of Laws. Um, I've been at UCL since 1994 and have had the pleasure of serving under no less than four different provosts. I want to thank everyone for being here today. It's wonderful that so many people have tuned in to join the proceedings. I'm not sure exactly how many, but we're definitely in the hundreds. Um, we've only got an hour, which isn't nearly long enough, uh, but we're going to start with the conversation between myself and the provost, and I'm hoping to leave some time for questions at the end uh, from the audience. So anyone from the audience who wants to join in and ask a question, please go to Slido and enter the code that you can see on your screens in front of you. Um, so to begin with, um, as I said, it's my great pleasure to talk to Professor Michael Arthur as he retires after seven years as president and provost of UCL. It's quite fitting that I should be given this honor since I first met Michael as part of the panel that selected him for this post and having worked with him in various roles throughout his tenure at UCL, I'm delighted to have the opportunity to reflect with him on his achievements, the challenges, the pleasures, and perhaps some of the less fun parts of his leadership of this great institution over the past seven years. Steering a university these days is by no means straightforward, if it ever was, and we'll only have time for glimpses into both the calms and some of the wretched waters of his journey as provost of UCL. And for anyone who doesn't know, these maritime references are because as well as, as, well as his many um, leadership accomplishments, Michael is also a keen and capable sailor. So I shall be making numerous references to uh, navigation as we go through. Anyway, despite the time constraints this afternoon, I know that we're all looking forward to hearing Michael's frank reflection on his term as provost. Michael's disciplinary background is medicine. He's a liver specialist who practiced and researched at the University of Southampton. The first clinical academic to be appointed president and provost of UCL, Michael took up the post in 2013 after a very successful nine years as vice chancellor at the University of Leeds. Over the past seven years under Michael's leadership, UCL has consolidated its position as a world leading university. We've excelled in research and impact on public policy. We've enhanced the, the quality of the education that we provide for students. And we've taken seriously the challenge of improving equity and inclusion. The estate has significantly upgraded and expanded eastwards and our finances are more secure. With Michael's active backing and engagement, we've just completed a philanthropic campaign that has supported outstanding research, provided valuable scholarships for students and enabled a range of activities that wouldn't otherwise have been possible. This lunchtime conversation is an opportunity for Michael to take a moment to reflect on his tenure, to share with us his approach to leadership, some of the achievements he's most proud of, as well as his insights into some of the internal and external challenges that he's faced during his tenure and how he has weathered those particular storms. But before we get into the conversation, uh, we've put together a short video highlights of um, Michael's tenure. It's only about a minute long and Michael commented that that's simply not long enough 
to uh, deal with the seven years. But anyway, we're going to make an attempt. We're going to we're going to have a go. So uh, as we go through, I hope that Michael will um, be able to tell us what some of the highlights are. So if you'd like to go ahead and play the video, please do enjoy watching, everyone. So I don't know if you can all hear me, but this is slightly embarrassing because I may not recognise the events. <laughs> Uh, but uh, first of all, uh, turning up and uh, you know, the first picture of the portico, how, how, what else could we, uh, could we put up there? And this is obviously the student centre. This is me meeting the mayor uh, around UCL East. This is a big hole in the ground that Anthony Smith was largely responsible for, but he filled it in with a very, very nice student centre. Um, and, uh, you know, I've always wanted to sit in the big digger. Um, the Laws faculty just before that um, in the labs, etc. Uh, oh, oh my goodness, this is uh, this, that, that last one was in um, San Francisco places. Um, and here's some of the uh, improvements to, uh, to the estate um, and a huge donation from Cathy uh, Lee in Hong Kong. Um, <clears throat> that was West Ham Football Club. We should have been showing Tottenham Hotspur, but it is, of course, the site of UCL East. Um, and here is here I am with uh, Victor Chu, uh, who eventually became uh, our new um, president and chair of council. And this, this is unbelievable. That was a great big dance party that the Shanghai Alumni Club put on. Um, and I've got no memory of what that one was, but we were obviously finishing off a building or something. Um, so I couldn't commentate very accurately because they all went too fast, but it was a wonderful collage. That was a good test. I think you, I think you passed about 90% of that. <laughs> <laughs> you can look at them later and uh, see which ones you missed out, but you got pretty much 90% of them. So those are just a very few of the highlights and it shows the range of things that you've done, the range of places that you've been to um, and on your various trips. It shows some of the changes that you've made to the estate and various things in the institution. We'll talk about some of those. So let's start at the beginning. Um, you came to UCL in 2013 after, as I said, a very successful term at Leeds. Now UCL is a very different sort of institution from Leeds. And I'd like to ask you, what were your initial ambitions when you came to UCL? And how would you characterize your approach to achieving those ambitions? Yeah, great, great um, questions. So um, the, the very obvious one um, to, to start on is, you know, UCL was uh, doing incredibly well. It got itself into um, the top echelon of global universities. Um, somewhere ranking, um, you know, in the top 20, may, maybe even uh, in the top 10 when I arrived. Uh, and one of my big ambitions has been to to make sure that we stay there um, and therefore, you know, put everything uh, that's academically important behind that um, and uh, make sure that we're fit for purpose for that um, eventual um, destination. So, so that's an obvious one, and that relates, of course, to the, to the research prowess. Um, but I could spot two other things that I thought needed attention and became part of the ambition. One was um, my, my personal view was that the student experience and student education was taking too much of a back seat in comparison with the research, uh, and I was uh, absolutely determined uh, that we had to turn that around. 
Uh, I do remember one funny moment, um, uh, Hazel, when um, I was uh, saying that we had to improve the national student survey scores and, and uh, an academic in the audience basically said, well, actually, we don't believe very much in the national student survey uh, in this institution, to which my retort was, that's interesting because I used to chair it. So you are going to take it more seriously now. So, so um, that, that was good. And then the other obvious thing that, that needed sorting out, and, and um, you could spot this from, uh, from Leeds very easily, uh, just looking uh, at uh, equality, diversity and inclusion. Um, and, and you'll remember this, Hazel, um, the senior team at the time when I interviewed, I think, had only two women on it out of uh, 17 and you were one of them. Maybe it became three as I joined. So it was you and Mary Collins and then Mary mm -hmm. Fulbrook. Um, and I just thought that we absolutely had to sort that out. So um, what's my style in all of these issues? Well, I, I think everyone knows that um, I like things to be out on the table. Um, no matter how difficult they are. Um, you know, equality, diversity, inclusion, I think it's really, really important that we acknowledge that we had a big problem um, and that we had to do something about it. And it wasn't easy to say all of that stuff. I even remember using the words uh, institutionally racist. Um, but the fact that we were prepared to get things out on the table um, and then um, agree that they needed to be sorted out, I think has been fundamentally important and in terms of further aspects of style uh, very much one of teamwork I like to surround myself with people who are much better at their specific role than I could possibly be um, so that you've got the team who can uh, deliver uh, on uh, all outcomes uh, necessary um, and then also you know open consultative um, uh, and interactive with uh, the entire university community and um, I think I can point to exactly that as we formulated um, the strategy UCL 2034. Uh, of course the deans and the vice provost, myself, members of council were heavily involved in the initial thinking and the drafting uh, but we did open it up very widely to the student body, to the entire uh, university community. It was presented at academic board on several occasions and we took a uh, we took pretty much a whole year in that consultation and uh, I felt that was terribly important. Um, if you'd like me to self-criticize I think we should have done even more than that and we should have continued and had a program of reiterating the importance of the strategy um, over um, you know, probably over the whole seven years to a much greater extent than 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 we've done in recent times. Um, but but in line with the amount of work that we did on uh, um, consult consulting about the strategy um, uh, back at the beginning. Great. I'm going to come. I'm going to come back to uh, management challenges a bit later on. But I want to pick up on a couple of things that you mentioned on um, the EDI front. Um, you made the point that it was important to acknowledge the problem and agree. Um, and I know that you've uh, and you've made strides in increasing diversity in our leadership. And you've also we've also launched the Let's Talk About Race and Racism. Uh, do you want to say something about that? Well, just to underscore its um, absolute importance to uh, uh, an institution that aspires to be a global leader. 
um, and it, it, it's fundamentally important. Everybody should be given the opportunity to to do their best work and to excel, uh, irrespective of um, their race, uh, their gender, uh, their sexual orientation, and whether or not they're disabled. So let's create that opportunity for all and we will reap the benefits is absolutely what I believe. And um, my, my style a little bit around uh, equality and diversity and inclusive issues, inclusion issues, um, has been to get people to get people past the data. So, so what, what lots of people do is spend a lot of time, you know, looking at data, um, identifying the problem. And uh, to my mind, the problem's obvious. And, and yes, of course, we need a bit of data behind it, but let's not get besotted by the data. Let's actually make up our mind that we've got a problem, make up our mind about what we're going to do about it, be bold, um, in bringing forward uh, potential uh, solutions, be prepared to make mistakes, but for goodness sake, get something done and try and make a difference. And I suppose the two most recent things I've been dealing with uh, uh, that are uh, in that vein um, are the uh, denaming, uh, the Gordon and the Pearson laboratories after the eugenics inquiry, I suppose even setting the eugenics inquiry up in the first place mm -hmm. um, wasn't uh, an easy uh, issue. Um, and then the most recent thing, uh, Hazel, which you've helped with is the um, apology, which we're about to publish um, about um, our history of eugenics um, and, you know, action, action and action. Let's add in the Sarah um, Parker Redmond Centre as well. So we, we have done things uh, whilst other people have talked about them. But it's still a work in progress. A uh, huge work in progress and, and it will be it will be for a very long time. I mean, you've got several hundred years of colonialism to undo. Basically. And if, you, if you were staying on a bit longer, is there a particular thing that you would push forward? Uh, well, I think I'm heavily influenced by recent events like Black Lives Matter. So I think we need to push a lot more uh, uh, and do positive things for our black students uh, and for our, our black members of staff. And that's not to say that other uh, aspects of um, minority ethnic background are unimportant. Uh, it is to recognize uh, that there's a specific and detailed and complex issue surrounding our black students and staff. Okay. Can I just pick up on something else that sort of came into one of the things that you were saying is that one of the things that I've noticed is how collaboratively you've worked with our students, the extent to which you've drawn them into decision-making. And that is very much to do with you, down to you. Uh, do you want to say a little bit about that and how, how you found that, how you've managed that and how you feel that's contributed? Yeah, I'm not sure it's all down to me, by the way. Um, I think Anthony Smith uh, and his team take a huge amount of credit for setting the scene for this um, and um, and getting it all going. Um, and, and of course, it's come um, to, to a head a little bit with COVID and, and, you know, lots of change, therefore, and lots of need to interact very carefully with the uh, students uh, through the Students' Union and, and also the, the um, star representatives around the uh, institution. And, and I've just got a simple thought, Hazel, which is, well, why wouldn't you talk to the students? You know, it's their university, it's um, 
uh, you know, as well as um, the staffs. Um, and, uh, you know, they're facing the same set of issues. In fact, many of them, particularly the first years, are facing even greater complexity, you know, having had their uh, the last uh, year of their schooling and their examinations completely disruptive. So why wouldn't you talk to them and, and, and involve them? Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, hope, I hope we learn the lesson of COVID, you know, bringing the students right into the decision making, giving them uh, uh, responsibility, they've accepted it and they have truly excelled. Um, and the, the lesson there is, is for the post-COVID period, let's keep that um, that amount of communication up um, and um, let's involve them, let's get them uh, understanding, watching and seeing the loop close that when they raise issues about a course and they want things improved that they see the process by which that's dealt with and they see the eventual decision and they see that they're being listened to um, and so involving them deeply and widely uh, around the institution I think is something that we have achieved uh, and something that we have to continue uh, to support heavily. Well, it's certainly something that I have really noticed is diff is very different. Uh, that's something that's changed and has been very different certainly over the last few years, um, which I think is great. I'm gonna come back to COVID later on. We, we can't escape it, um, but I wanna move on to something else. Something else I just wanted to ask you about, um, in terms of your commitment, one of the things that's interesting has been your, um, your interest in and your kind of commitment to the promotion of philanthropy and volunteering and alumni during your period at UCL. I mean, we've just closed down a very successful campaign, which we'll be, um, we, we'll be celebrating, I think, next week or in a couple of weeks' time. Um, no, next week. But um, I want to talk to you about why you feel that's important and why you were prepared to give so much of your own time to that. Yeah, well, I, I guess it started, Hazel, um, with me getting the job in um, uh, in Leeds. Uh, and a very good friend of mine um, was uh, Eric Thomas, who wrote the Thomas Report about this issue. Um, and we're very, very good friends and have been for years. Uh, and he turned up at my house and dumped a copy of the report on my desk and said, here, if you're going to be a, a vice chancellor, you better read this. So I had an early start into you know, what the issues were and why it was important. Um, and I've also had the privilege, of course, of working in America for some of my career and, and seeing just how well it works there. Um, so I think it's about an opportunity to really engage the academic community, the university community, the alumni community, and anyone else that wants to join in, in owning um, uh, a stake in the future of, of UCL uh, and whether whether that ownership relates to the fact you're alumnus whether you're helping us with volunteering or whether you're giving us uh, your hard-earned cash um, it creates a sense of community it creates a sense of momentum and to do it well you have to relate it very carefully to the institutional ambition um, and the strategy. So it, it is one of those other opportunities to go back around all of that and to uh, publicize it and to get people engaged in thinking about it. Uh, and of course, resource um, is always useful to have additional resource. Um, and the way I have seen the fundraising that we've achieved is that it never ever replaces core funding, but it adds excellence to the core. Um, and so 
throughout all that work, you're constantly adding bits of excellence to the institution, whether that's, you know, a scholarship program, whether it's a research project or whether it's a capital uh, contribution, you're adding uh, to, um, to, to the pace at which you can move forward uh, in academic terms. Um, so it's, uh, it's um, really, really important to, to get that right. I felt it should be represented at the top level, uh, so a, a vice provost, uh, and of course we had the uh, privilege and honour uh, of having Laurie Houlihan uh, come into that role, um, and she did a spectacular job, and, and the two of us worked really closely together on it. Um, the other thing I would say is it's fun, you know, um, when you are meeting uh, potential donors, they're usually very successful people, most of them are very, very uh, interesting. Um, and it was fun to understand what it was they wanted to achieve with their philanthropy. So there's kind of an intellectual uh, element to it. Um, you need to be fairly fast on your feet um, and you um, need to gently, um, slowly but surely nudge people in the direction of, of, of seeing what you can see about UCL and how they can contribute to it. So um, the most enjoyable part of my job, if I'm uh, honest, um, I thought it was uh, just wonderful. And, you know, we've obviously achieved well. Um, but the key thing I think about that achievement is sets things up for the future. Yeah. This, this will be the norm for a very long time to come now in British higher education. Um, and UCL is right at the forefront of it, just behind those two ancient places called Oxford and Cambridge. Yeah, I think we've become, we actually have become a, a beacon. Uh, the other thing that it's um, trained you to do is to give speeches when very jet, jet lagged. Um, all of that happening around the room, getting off a plane and giving, I've seen you do it. Um, it's quite a skill. Um, <laughs> but the, I mean, what's, I mean, I know we're not supposed to talk about COVID yet, but. Uh, one of the biggest differences for me is that I've had uh, nine months uh, solid now without being exhausted, without having to catch up with days of work because I've been away um, and without jet lag. So uh, it's been quite a noticeable difference. Uh, sad, but true. OK, well, um, since we've been talking about money and we've been talking about great successes, let's move on to some things that maybe have been a little bit more challenging, because I think there've been plenty of challenges and some bumps in the road along the way over the last seven years, uh, both internal and external challenges. So for example, um, finances. I know that when you first came to UCO, you were determined to get us onto a kind of firmer financial footing. And I think that stood us in very good stead during the current crisis, uh, but I also know as an ex-dean, this involves some tough decisions. And uh, do you want to say something about your approach to that? Because I know there were some, uh, there have been some difficult times on that. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, to, to be uh, accurate historically, uh, I think UCL had already decided that it needed to sort its finances out long before I uh, came. Um, and the council of the university and the finance committee felt that, um, you know, a good yardstick for being financially healthy was to be able to make, uh, let's call it a surplus for the moment, but really it's an investment margin. Mm. So to make around about five and a half percent per year to keep your cash in a good place and therefore 
your ability to do things and to pay people's salaries at the end of the month. Uh, so keep the cash uh, in, a, in a good place. Also have a little bit of money in reserve for um, a rainy day, um, <clears throat> which did eventually appear, didn't it, in the form of COVID. Um, but also at the same time have money to invest in the infrastructure that's necessary to be world leading. Um, and I don't just mean the buildings, I mean the buildings, uh, the IT infrastructure, but also the academic initiatives that, that, that um, the community were desperately keen to develop when I arrived. I mean, I was literally inundated with people with ideas and, and space needs uh, mm. uh, in, in the first few weeks that I was here. Um, now, uh, as it turned out in my application, I don't know if you remember this, Hazel, but I uh, outlined the, um, the bottom line finances for the University of Leeds for each year that I'd been there in some detail. And I did that deliberately because I, I could sense uh, that the person that was going to get the job as the next president of Provost had to understand how university finances work and how to make them work for the institution. So I made quite a play on my uh, financial achievements uh, in Leeds uh, in my application. And then when I arrived, of course, the, you know, everyone kind of knew that. And so it was relatively uh, easy to get going on it. It's not popular because people want to spend that money in year. Um, and they want to spend it themselves in their part of the university. Um, and uh, the thing about the surplus is it comes back centrally and it's permissive for um, the center of the university to make bigger uh, and highly strategic developments. And that's precisely what we've done. Uh, we um, took some flack for it. There have been some difficult moments, um, but um, uh, I think everyone kind of gets it now that they've seen the fruits of getting it right um, in terms of the buildings. The IT infrastructure that we now have still needs to improve a lot. It is um, uh, improving, but um, uh, but it was in need of a lot of investment when uh, I first arrived. And also we've seen, you know, some really interesting uh, academic developments in Global Prosperity, the, in the Institute of um, Innovation and Public um, policy uh, are a couple there are some new ones developing the global school of uh, the, the school for the health of the public let me get the name right otherwise graham will never forgive me um, and uh, the institute of maths and stats and then the um, the uh, school for e economics and public policy um, so you know you can't do those things without having some cash in the background and that's really what the uh, the 5.5 percent was about um, and um, and we got there uh, it was painful I remember some interesting moments with deans I do remember threatening to cancel Christmas on at least one occasion uh, because I couldn't get because I couldn't get the deans to agree the budget um, uh, so uh, having said that um, the collegiality that the deans display at the time when we set budgets and contributions, sometimes has to be cajoled out of them, but generally is really uh, very, very good. And uh, gives me the opportunity to thank the deans for, that, for those moments um, and, for, and for agreeing to get us all past them, because without that, we would have been in a right old mess. So, so the, the deans have been tremendous um, in that. 
Um, and we're very lucky to have a top class finance team led by Phil. Mm, yeah. uh, so they've 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 made it easy, and hopefully I've um, made it made it a bit easier for them too. So yeah, really important to get the money right. Um, in, in any leadership position, if you don't get the money right, you're not going to be a leader for very long. Well, I certainly think in the in the current crisis, um, we've gone we we went into this, we are going to come back to COVID, but we I think we went into the storm in a in a better position than than some other institutions, and I think that that has indeed stood us in good stead. Um, while we're on um, challenges, <laughs> um, you mentioned earlier that you've got a kind of very inclusive management style, uh, but there have been criticisms that UCL actually in common with many other universities has become too managerial. How would you respond to that? How have you responded and how would you respond to that? Yeah, um, so I think I was asked this question even before um, I started the job. Uh, and what I said at the time is if you can show me an institution that's as successful as UCL, uh, where there is no managerialism or no no management even, I'll happily go and learn the lessons. Uh, and part of my response therefore is some degree of managerialism is important. Uh, uh, and I would go so far as to say essential when you're running an organization that has a turnover of 1.6 billion. Um, and when you're effectively responsible for the livelihoods of 14 and a half thousand members of staff um, and, you know, that's a real issue. I feel that personally, you know, if I get it wrong, a lot of people are going to uh, end up in, in difficulty. So mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a huge, huge responsibility. Um, and, and of course, responsibility to make sure that the students get well educated and get a good start in life and, mm -hmm. and hopefully all of them uh, get a good job. So I just don't think you can achieve all of the above and be world leading without some degree of management of the organisation. So uh, what one then tries to do is to devolve that as far down the tree as you possibly can. Um, and... Um, uh, I've always, um, uh, as part of my management style, had a, had a kind of principle behind it of what I would call earned autonomy. So if we give you <clears throat> a budget and we give you responsibility and you discharge that admirably and, you know, your staff are happy and your students are happy and you're doing well in your research and your education is brilliant, then um, I, I should absolutely just leave you alone. Uh, and I do. It's only when we've got issues that aren't working properly where we feel the need to uh, intervene. And um, I'll come back to education. Um, you know, when when I first came here, uh, I think we were at risk, by the way, of, of failing our quality assurance. Anthony Smith um, and Durfel um, and uh, Wendy and uh, Claire Gowdy um, helped with pulling us out of that um, uh, out of that fire and, and then of course we had repeated um, problems with the National Student Survey so we introduced an intensive ASA to really try and emphasize to people just how important this was um, and slowly but surely um, we have um, uh, turned that set of issues around so you know sometimes you need some managerialism to to keep the place uh, very high quality, very high standards, 
um, and uh, give it the opportunity to fulfil its true potential. And um, I, you know, I, I think we've made a great uh, start. I, th I think it started before me, by the way. I think Malcolm did a good job. Uh, I think we've made a, a you know, a further progress, uh, but there's still uh, a long, long way to go. And, and it's uh, to, to be right at the top forever and yeah. you know we're there and we're doing well and we stayed there for quite a while now but but it, you know it's not a given you know we we have to earn our place there and we have to earn it through high quality activity in research and education and enterprise and innovation and if we get that right we'll we'll, we'll be uh, one of the best universities in the world on the tip of everyone's tongue uh, alongside Harvard and Stanford and Oxford and Cambridge and that's a great place to be. Indeed but um, thinking still about challenges that are facing us um, there have been I think probably increasing difficulties in the higher education sector in general and some challenges in dealing with government. What's been your experience or your approach to managing all of that? Yeah, um, well, it's been a period of incredible change, hasn't it? And you know, we are we are uh, no longer a you know a, a government-owned public university. You know, we're, we're an independent organisation, um, with still with a huge amount of public money, mm. for which we are publicly uh, accountable. So. A careful interaction with government is an essential part of being a vice chancellor. Um, I've literally just been chairing um, a, a meeting for the Russell Group with the uh, minister from Bayes, Amanda Soloway, about about um, association uh, to the European Union and uh, about the spending review. So you know there are constant meetings of that nature where you you have to conduct yourself appropriately for the best interests of your institution. Um, uh, and, and that sometimes means standing up to government a bit. So one tries not to do that too openly in the press or anything, but behind the scenes, you do need to have, uh, be brave enough to have frank and robust discussions with, uh, with ministers. So, mm -hmm. so that's the first thing uh, that, that I would say. Um, and, um, uh, I guess, you know, the whole funding of higher education has just changed totally since uh, I first became uh, an academic. Um, and that, to an extent, creates that set of market forces. Um, there are many of us that wish that it wasn't uh, like that, but it was quite literally the only way to keep the sector uh, alive when fees were first introduced um, by Tony Blair, if you remember back in 97. Uh, and then, um, uh, and then of course, uh, serially uh, increased. Um, and that is the lifeblood of the sector, you know, without that student fee income, uh, UCL wouldn't exist. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if most academics have thought about this, but something like 60% of your pay packet relates to teaching the students and the tuition fee income whether it's home uh, or, or EU or international. So, you know, those are just facts. We have to live within that regime. Uh, one can try and uh, improve it, bend it for the positive, um, uh, you know, try and keep the students to the forefront of that, uh, support them in their uh, attempts to 
increase the threshold before they pay back, um, uh, et cetera, et cetera, to, um, to get it all to work. Um, so it's been a complex, very difficult uh, period. We're not out of the woods, are we, on the funding of higher education? You know, the £9,250 is not being inflated um, uh, each year. Uh, however, our bills are being inflated. And, you know, obviously we've got the pensions background as well. Uh, another set of difficulties to sort out. So a very, very elaborate, complex uh, system. Um, but one that, you know, is unbelievably uh, successful internationally, and we mustn't forget that. No, but to add to that, which you didn't mention, was the uh, Brexit factor. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> among, among the many, many things that you've been facing in recent times, Brexit. Is that, well, how much of an issue is that? Uh, it, it's been huge. It's been absolutely massive. And uh, of course, you know, I've been uh, uh, president and provost for seven and a half years now coming up. And for four and a half of them, uh, I've been dealing with Brexit and its consequences. Um, so I think, I think our response when it first all happened, which was to reassure all of our European students and staff, I remember, I remember making a video. I remember two things about the video. One was that it went down extremely well. It was probably the smartest thing I've ever done uh, was to make that video very quickly and get it out there to our European students and staff. And the second thing I remember about it was the one that went out was take two. Take one was perfect. And just at the last second, someone wheeled a great big um, bin full of rubbish past the microphone and wrecked the whole, uh, wrecked the whole thing. Uh, however, we managed to get it out in take two and, uh, uh, and it went down well. And we've tried to stay in that vein ever since, making sure we're looking uh, after the interests of students and staff and then interacting with government about how best to see a future for universities in a, in a um, different uh, Europe. Um, and that work is still ongoing. In fact, I was on the phone last night um, on exactly that reason, um, because uh, it, it um, is with our negotiating team today that, that um, there's some new suggestions about how we might still uh, associate to Horizon Europe. So I'm ever hopeful, and it was also the topic of discussion with, um, with the minister just now. So, you know, four and a half years in, it's still going. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, I didn't think they could ever be anything worse than Brexit and then COVID came along. So, ah. so COVID has of course occupied us even more than Brexit. This is a perfect segue into um, my, my final question before I open it up for discussion. But I do want to say something about this because I think this has been really important. We can't leave it out. It has been an unbelievably challenging time. It's been an extraordinary time. Um, people probably don't know that sort of throughout, I don't know, bits of March, April, May, um, you and your senior leadership team are meeting, I mean, quite often seven days a week at 8 a.m. in the morning. Uh, this was just all consuming and it has presented extraordinary challenges, questions for which there are no clear answers. And UCL took a somewhat different approach to some other institutions. And I would want to say that I think that it has probably left, less, left us in a better place with both staff and students, you know, we can never say it's all done and it's perfect, but in a better place than some other institutions have found themselves in. And 
I just want to give you an opportunity to talk us through your guiding principles for navigating us through that storm. Note the maritime reference again there. But I do, I do believe that, of course, it, they, they were joint decisions, they were leadership decisions. But I think I said this to you once, that it, that it, that it was kind of values and principles uh, that you expressed that helped to guide the decision making. And do you want to just say something about how you approach that? Because none of us knew the answer. None of us knew what was the right thing to do. We couldn't know. Yeah, well, let me start by just saying that I was literally in New York when uh, things really took off back at UCL. Um, and I, I do want to uh, thank Anthony Smith for really grabbing hold of it and in the short while that it took me to to get back to London um, uh, alongside um, Fiona Ryland. Uh, they really grabbed hold of it and dealt with a very acute phase. Um, and, and, and in a strange sort of way, the journey gave me loads of thinking time. Um, so I, 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 it became obvious to me that, A, this was a huge crisis that uh, was going to go on for a long time. Uh, certainly the whole of the rest of that academic year and into the next, which is where we are now. And, you know, um, I think we all feel even with the vaccine, we'll still be dealing with this through uh, into the beginning of the next academic year, uh, at least. So to have some guiding principles uh, was fundamentally important. And I, I think the early actions uh, that um, Anthony and Fiona took uh, were, were a good sign. And they kind of, that's kind of where we started. So w what have they done? Well, they went, they went for safety first um, and uh, I think uh, basically closed the campus down before the government was even thinking about doing the same with the country, and um, and that got everyone's attention, and it and it absolutely made people feel good that their safety was being considered um, in some detail. So safety first was the was a very very key principle, um, and then uh, we weren't quite sure what to call the next one, so we just called it something simple. Uh, I think we said humanity. Uh, by, by which I mean caring for uh, the outcomes for our staff and students mm -hmm. and doing everything that we could to to look after their, their them and their needs as best we could. Um, and, you know, and in extremely uh, difficult circumstances. And there were all sorts of um, groups of individuals that, 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 that really ran into difficulty pretty immediately. PhD students who could no longer, for example, work in a bar because the whole of the uh, retail, the, um, uh, retail industry and the food outlet industry was being shut down. So there were no casual jobs for people. So hardship was there and it was immediate. So humanity um, at every uh, turn um, and then the final one really was students and student experience, that whatever we did, we had to uh, get focused on um, our students, their needs, their education, and put them first, uh, put research to one side if necessary, put other personal issues to one side, um, uh, is, is what many people had to do um, in order to create something that worked for the students for their exams was the first big problem and then for um, uh, their education um, uh, in the start of this academic year. 
Mm. Um, so those principles were great. Huge, huge team effort um, uh, from uh, every member of staff uh, in the institution and professional services staff, as well as academic staff. But the academic staff, of course, had to uh, learn a lot. They had to change a lot. They had to update a lot. Um, they had to work really hard. They're having to double teach on some occasions, sometimes more than that. Um, and the collegiality and the willingness to put the shoulders to the wheel, wheel has just been phenomenal. And it's all of those things that have got us to the point that we are. We're not quite out of the woods, uh, but we're certainly in the first significant clearing. And um, uh, and that wasn't a sailing analogy. <laughs> uh, so, so. Um, uh, so, you know, we've got there, uh, we're in week eight of term, you know, we've got good finances, we've got good student recruitment, in fact, we've over-recruited in some areas. It's not perfect, we haven't got the sort of face-to-face -face stuff as perfect as we would like, the education, um, but we've done incredibly well. And the proudest moment of my life, uh, maybe alongside one other at Leeds, which was a similar issue, was the letter that the students wrote to me and to the academic community um, thanking uh, us for the work that, you know, that had been done, for the quality of the materials that had been put together for their online uh, lessons and for their understanding that all of that had been done at great personal cost to all of the individuals involved. And it literally, that letter brought a tear to my eye. And I've been ruthless with the letter every, ever since, by the way, just about anyone that's anyone has had a copy of that letter, particularly those in the uh, Office for Students and the DfE. Uh, so, um, so everyone that reads that letter just can't believe uh, that, that, um, that, that, that we've been able to create that feeling amongst the student body. And um, I'm so proud of that and so proud of everyone that's contributed to it. So a huge thank you. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's absolutely, it's the most wonderful letter and most wonderful tribute to the decision-making that took place over COVID. Um, I can see that we're beginning to run out of time and I, I can see that a number of people have asked some questions. So if you don't mind, I'm going to put to you some of the questions that have been raised. And one of them actually was one of the ones that I was going to ask you. So I'll, it's from an anonymous. Um, what are your top three tips for your successor? <laughs> um, yeah, I better be careful here. <laughs> um, I, 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 I did a little attempt at this um, at uh, council. So maybe I'll use the same sentiment uh so first of all be bold uh, you know you're going to be steering a fantastic organization that will achieve um so believe in it and go for it and be bold so that would be that would be top tip number one uh top tip number two is borrow more um, and you might think that that's a bit weird when I've just been talking about, you know, how we have to be financially very careful, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, but we're, we are um, relatively underborrowed compared to the rest of the uh, Russell Group of institutions and money has never been cheaper. So if you're not bold and you don't invest, you will lose ground. Um, and so um, absolutely um, go 
uh, for it. And I think the rewards will, will come back. Um, and then they may take 20, 10 or 20 years to come back, but come back, they ultimately uh, will. Um, and then uh, uh, the, the, the final thing comes from a, a quote, which um, Laurie Houlihan used to quote at me um, uh, incessantly, uh, which was, um, you know, along the lines of go together, go mm -hmm. further. Mm -hmm. So join it up, get people, get people uh, behind you, get people owning this future. Um, and go together in that direction, and um, and UCL will be a brilliant place if you follow those those um, tips. I, was, I nearly called them instructions. That's, instructions that would have been tips. very bad. <laughs> <laughs> so there's another question here. With the benefit of hindsight, is there anything you wish you'd known when you started at UCL in 2013? Anything you didn't know that you wish you had known? I think you knew a lot because um, you'd worked hard, but with the things you hadn't known, we'd kept hidden from you. <laughs> yeah, well, in my deepest, darkest moments, I, I do I do say some silly things like, you know, if only I'd known it was going to be as bad as this, 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 and this, I might never have come in the first place, which is a terrible thing to say. So let's put that to one side. Um, un undoubtedly, the, the magnitude of some of the things I knew about was far greater than I expected. So, um, I, you know, the, the desire for space uh, was, you know, unending for, for the first two years. Everyone wanted more space for this, that, uh, and the other. Um, and yet the state of the, uh, uh, the estate's infrastructure, although, you know, a lot had been done, very much more needed to be done and you know I mean a huge amount uh, the you know to, to, to get the place into roughly the right shape for its total global you know unstoppable future we estimated needed about two billion of investment which was way beyond what we could afford um, so what you do see is um, the 1.2 billion um, as being at the limits of our affordability but nevertheless, a huge, massive program. And we did borrow some money to make that work from the European Investment Bank, fortunately in Sterling, um, and fortunately um, closed out 60 days before the Brexit vote, so, um, and a very cheap loan. Uh, so, you know, that 1.2 billion is making a difference, but there's a huge, long, long way to go yet. Um, and then, I guess some of the other things were that um, I hadn't appreciated the student expansion before I arrived and the relative flattening off of staff of professional services. And I think that got a bit out of sync. And therefore, I think the professional services were struggling because they weren't being resourced well enough. Um, and that, that caused a number of problems. And the extent of those problems through the professional services was much greater than I'd anticipated. Um, and that's not to blame them. I, I do think that um, uh, I do think that they had um, somewhat deliberately as an efficiency gain been um, uh, given less resource relative to the uh, size of the task than they really needed. So we've had to set about trying to correct all of that. Uh, and it's taken, well, we haven't finished that job. I mean, the, you know, we've got some great new people who've come into the services. Um, and uh, we're making progress, but there's still 
uh, a long way to go. Um, I've got another question here, which is, um, this may be the last question, but it's quite a good one. If you could, what one thing would you change about UCL that you can't or haven't been able to do during your time? Oh, I need about an hour's notice of a question <laughs> like that. One thing. Maybe uh, you can say two. You can you can say two things if you want to. I'll let you. Uh, uh, you stumped me. Yeah, you stumped me, and I shouldn't. <laughs> I shouldn't be stumped for such an obvious, uh, such an obvious question. Um, uh, there's some things I'd like to see. I'd, I'd really like to see better communication through the organisation. Um, and that, that, that's not to say um, that this is down to comms, because I, I just think they've done a brilliant job and they've done a spectacularly brilliant job throughout the whole of the COVID crisis. Uh, so much so people outside the uh, organisation comment to me. But, but the sort of natural layers of communication uh, that, that uh, any big organisation has to deal with and how you, how you get the key messages to permeate through those layers and, and just as importantly, permeate back up. So, you know, um, so that a professor in a department, in a faculty can say something and if it's important enough, it will come all the way back up to, um, to me. If we could get that interpersonal communication and the listening that's necessary in both directions right that would that would be a big hit that would be a big gain um, and if i could wave a magic wand and change that overnight uh, I, i'd be uh, delighted and then my second one um yeah because i'm on a roll now i could probably think of about 10. uh the the, the, the second one is um Let's all uh, remind ourselves that we're a single uh, institution and uh, university community. Um, and uh, when the place is under pressure, uh, you do see the academic professional services divide open up. Um, and I, you know, I've fought all my life to make sure that that gap uh, stays closed. Uh, in anything that I'm working in, because we're all, you know, we're all here for the same reason. We all believe in in the future of um, the, those students and the benefit of our research to the world, um, and and we're all working together to that end. And that's just as important to the people that work in our professional services as it is to the academic community. So my second magic one moment would be that divide is just healed, and we just get on with life, um, doing great stuff. And I think actually we do work very well. We do work well together. And I think that um, we've achieved a lot on that front, but it's a, that's a good point on which to nearly end. Um, I think we are coming to the end and um, I'm going to ask you one more question and then I'm going to tie up. So knowing what you know now, what would you say are the most important qualities that you think a provost needs to lead an institution like UCL? Uh, one, two, and three, humility, humility, humility. <laughs> um, you're not going to be successful uh, unless you can interact with people, listen to them, uh, support them, um, and be 
pleased and derive your own personal pleasure from all of that um, and you know don't try to be mr big so humility i think is is a, a fundamentally important characteristic in any leader and something which i think you have demonstrated throughout your seven years so i heard someone describe three qualities that sum you up and i couldn't remember who said it and it wasn't me but somebody said this and i think that these are absolutely correct um they said that the qualities that sum you up are resilience integrity and authenticity and having worked with you for seven years i think that that characterization is absolutely correct 100 percent uh, the only thing that I would add to that is also good fun. You're actually very good fun too. Um, it's been a privilege to work with you. And on behalf of all of UCL, I want to thank you for your service, your dedication to the institution, and for guiding us through some very difficult times to leave us in a strong position for the next phase in UCL's history. And we've we've heard a little bit about some of how you've navigated some of those difficult times. We wish you well in your retirement, success in whatever roles you next take on, and many happy hours sailing with Liz Arthur, your wife, and spending time with your family and your new grandchild. And of course, another thing that people may not know, supporting Spurs, you're gonna have much more time to do that these days. Um, it's been a pleasure to work with you, Michael, and again, to thank you for everything that you've done for UCL. And if it were possible, and I'm not sure, I don't know whether it is, I would like to get everybody to join me in thanking Michael Arthur for all that he's done for UCL over those seven years and to wish you well for the future. So this is my clap on behalf of the apparently 131 viewers that are watching. Uh, thank you so much, Michael. Uh, I don't know if there's something else that you want to say. Um, well, I think I'm going to carry those words with me for uh, the rest of my life. Resilience, integrity, authenticity. Those are wonderful uh, words, and I'm, I'm deeply honoured to to receive them, if you like, and and to you know for, to hear that pe that's what people think about me is just uh, amazing. And then the final thing I want to say. Uh, to the entire uh, UCL community is both thank you uh, for a great seven and a half years. Um, I've really enjoyed every second of it, even the difficult stuff. And, um, and, and absolutely good luck to all of you. It is a great institution. I am desperately keen to stay involved in it. I, I, I am led to believe I might be offered an emeritus chair. Um, and so, you know, don't be overly surprised if you see me at the occasional celebratory moment or, or, or elsewhere. Uh, but a huge, huge thank you to all of you for everything that you've done for me and everything you're doing for UCL and really, really good luck for the future. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you again. Thank you for everything. Hope you do get, I'm sure you will get the Emeritus Chair. And thank you to everybody else for, for listening.